Good morning, Living Grace. Please make sure that you take all those magazines that we have, um, <clears throat> even if your team is not, not on the cover. It is for the further the gospel and testimonies and very cool things like that. Uh, it's a special Sunday today. Um, we've asked the teenagers to stay in with us uh, because they need to hear the message. Uh, because this is center, dead center where they live. And our young people need to be um, trained up in how to answer questions that surround them in our culture. And how many of you know that the Lord has the, has the answers to the questions? A couple of you. All right, right on. You came to the right place this morning. Um, why we are pro-life. <clears throat> we have a teaching schedule that is laid out till later in the year, actually for the most part through the summer, although we have some additions to make to it. But, and we have a different topic that we wanted to talk about today, but with recent events taking place in New York and around the country regarding the issue of abortion, we just felt like that it was, it was all hands on deck and we need to talk about it right now and equip you with... Um, uh, some some things to think about and some ways to engage in the conversation. Uh, we have with us today uh, special guests. Uh, uh, we have uh, Pam uh, and Laura with uh, First Choice Pregnancy Center. So would you give them a hand, please? I am uh, I am going to speak as quickly as I can. I'm going to try to be done within 30 minutes, and I'm going to turn it over to Pam, who will who will uh, close the deal. Uh, yeah, and you, you may or may not be aware that the busiest uh, pro-life pregnancy center in America, everybody say in America, yeah. is here in Las Vegas. And so she's going to talk a little bit about that. So um, let me just say this, that I was not always pro-life. Uh, I, I was not always pro-life. Uh, uh, years ago, a friend of mine uh, had uh, had an uh, extramarital affair and um, and and the woman got pregnant, and he called me for advice, and he goes, what do you think I should do? And I remember the exact words I said. It's funny what you remember. I said, get rid of it. I said, this is going to mess up your whole family and your whole life. Not, did I, I didn't mention the fact that he was in a relationship he shouldn't have been in. It was get rid of the child. And I remember the exact thing that he said. He said, I can't do that. And I have to tell you that um, when I became a follower of Jesus and I recognized what life was and who was the author of life, I am so glad that my friend did not listen to me because I was a 25-year-old knucklehead who knew nothing about life and the value of life. Um, at the current rates, one-fourth 25% of the women in America will have an abortion by the, by the time they reach the age of 45. 21% of all pregnancies end in abortion. Now, as a black German, that's really, really important to me for a lot of reasons. It's, I have a unique perspective being biracial, and uh, if people ask me, like, you know, what, what your ethnicity is, and I say, I'm a black German. And they go, well, that's strange. I go, I know, I don't look black or German, right? <laughs> Feeling dunk. I'm like, what did he just say? But check it out. This is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this. And I can remember a uh, teaching that I did 25 years ago on the topic of abortion. It was at a Sunday night. And I remember I broke down as I shared about it. And I'm thinking, I, I think, why is this so heavy for me. It's so heavy. One of the reasons is, is that black babies, and my, to, my, to my, my black brothers and sisters, you need to hear this. Black babies are five times more likely to be aborted than white children. 40% of abortions in America happen by black women who only make up 12% of the population. Two out of every three Planned Parenthood abortion centers are located in the black community. One pastor calls it genocide, what's happening to black people in America. 
We are the only minority in America who is declining. And in some places like Washington, D.C., more black babies are being aborted than being born. We'll talk more about that in just a bit. You have to understand something else. As I tell people this week, as this was churning in my heart, I said to people, listen, I said, I intend to to speak the truth about what's happening in our nation. I also intend to speak biblically, and I also intend to give some practical application to what we're going to talk about, but I absolutely will do it sensitively. Um, It is a complicated issue. What do you say to a 15-year-old? And I've been at the table with a 15-year-old whose 17-year-old uh, boyfriend just got her pregnant. And dad sits down and says, the pastor's here. This must be real serious. What's going on? And I kept thinking as he was talking to this, as, as he was being told that his daughter was pregnant, I kept thinking, if he jumps across the, cable, the table and chokes this boy, what am I going to do? Because I have no idea. Well, they chose to have that child. What do you say in the case of some of these situations that are so difficult? A friend who has an extramarital affair and she ends up pregnant. Well, uh, how, do you, how, do you, how, uh, how do you process that? Well, we're going to talk about those things today. So I want you to know that if you have had an abortion, this is not condemnation. This is not throwing a stone. Uh, you, will, you, you will receive life and grace in our conversation today. So I want you to know that. That's important to me. Well, you're familiar that Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the Reproductive Health Act on January 22nd, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, which legalized abortion in New York through all nine months of pregnancy, even up to dilation. It repeals the safeguard uh, regarding abortions or requiring all abortions to be performed by licensed professionals. And now you can be a nurse or a midwife or a physician assistant. It decriminalizes all state abortion laws and removes the rights and and protections of the uh, unborn by defining a person as uh, a human being who has been born and is alive. Even this definition is revoked for a child who is accidentally born or survives an abortion. So in triumph, Governor Cuomo had one World Trade Center lit up in pink as a celebration of women's rights, reproductive health, a celebration of life, death. Now, the defenders of the RHA, Reproductive Health Act, assure us that no woman would undergo late-term abortion unless something very terrible was wrong or was a life-threatening situation and Such a thing, they say, is extremely rare. Well, that's not true because New York's own abortion statistics for 2016 report that there were 1,763 abortions that were performed at 20 weeks gestation or later. And even if that's true, how does killing the infant born alive during an attempted abortion effectively save the mother's life? Now, here's the other thing that you may already know about this. There's no medical condition in late-term pregnancy in which abortion is necessary to save the life of the mother. No, not one. There were many OBGYNs that were taking to social media. One, Dr. Lawrence K. Koning, wrote this. As an OBGYN physician for 31 years, there's no medical situation that requires aborting, killing the baby in the third trimester to save the mother's life. Just deliver the baby by C-section and the baby has a 95 plus percent survival, uh, 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 percentage of survival with a readily available, available NICU care even at 28 weeks. C-section is quicker and safer than partial birth abortion for the mother. So I also heard this week on the ACLJ network, and if you're not a fan of Jay Sekulow, you should be, because they mentioned the list a sad list of nations that allow late-term abortions. So my point is this, is that when it comes to morality and ethics, you don't want to be on the list that these nations are on. And yet America is. Here's the list. China, North Korea, Singapore, the Netherlands, Vietnam, Canada. 
And Singapore and the Netherlands restrict late-term abortions after 20 weeks. So there's five nations in the world that allow it up to, up to dilation, and America's on that list. And actually, we have been. That's really nothing new. So here's the point. Why should Christians care about this? Why should Christians care about this more than any other people in America? Because of Genesis 1.26. Let me say this to you young people. Get Genesis in your heart. Know it. Understand it. It is the, founda- the first nine chapters of Genesis set the foundation for all morality. If you're wrong on Genesis, the building will be will be uh, tottered, and it will not stand. If you, don't, if you don't believe that God said in Genesis happened, it will, it will tilt everything, and by the time you get to university or military or wherever you end up, your worldview will be challenged and shaken. Get Genesis 1 through 9 in your heart. Understand it. Know it. It is the foundation for all of life. Genesis answers every social ill that we have today. It says in Genesis 126, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Humans are made in the Imago Dei, the the image of God. We should care about the preciousness of those who are made in the image of God, regardless of where they are, regardless of their age, or regardless of what anybody else says about them. Humans are We have intrinsic value because we are made in the image of God and God says that we have value. I learned a new word this week called speciesism. (laughs) Speciesism. You know what racism is. Racism is the belief that one race is better than another. Speciesism is the belief that one species is better than another. Now, I have a problem with some people. I'm concerned when someone tells me they're pro-choice, and yet they say they want to save the whales and the spotted owl. Now, here's the problem. I don't have a problem with people who want to save the planet and recycle and save the owl and save the turtles. And Because uh, the Bible says in Proverbs, a righteous man considers his animals. Those things were made by God, but they weren't made in the image of God. There is a difference between the two. It doesn't mean that we, as, as, as believers, can do whatever we want to the, uh, uh, our ecology and, 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 and animal kingdom. No, we, we, we're, we're good with all of that. But my problem is, is when we start to remove the distinction and the specialness and the image of God from men, and we start caring more about owls and turtles and who knows what than we do human beings. And it's amazing to me that we even have to have this conversation. So at what point is the the embryo not imago Dei? At what point is, is, is that baby in the womb not made in the image of God? Write that question down because I think that's an important question. Embryology... The study of, of babies in, in, in the embryo uh, tells us this. I mean, science has proven the Bible, right? Imagine that. And it tells us that human life begins at conception. Robert George and Christopher Tolson say this. There is widespread agreement among embryologists that a new human individual comes into existence when there is a single, unified, self-integrated biological system, and this happens no later than uh, syngamy, the lining up of the 23 pairs of chromosomes. In other words, at the moment of conception, the genetic code is imprinted in that cell so that that genetic code will, uh, is, is independent of mom and dad, and that cell will have everything that is necessary from a genetic standpoint from the, from the womb all the way to the day that you die. There is an independent personhood growing inside of the womb is what science tells us. Well, we already know that because Psalm chapter 139 says this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Another word for womb, okay? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Uh, In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. In in your book, it it was, you you knew, you you knit me together. Uh, You were there. Fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, uh, first pregnancy that Don had, we were at a, a doctor's office that had gotten recommended, and, and, and he did abortions. We did not know that. Pretty sure he did. And one time there was a, there was a, there was a, a, a gal that he was consulting with someone, and I could just hear bits and pieces. I wasn't trying to listen, but I could just hear bits and pieces. And I, I got this weird vibe, like, you know what? And, and I, 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 as, as we were, you know, this gal, was wa- young gal by herself, uh, was walking out. I said, excuse me, do you have a Bible at your house? She goes, yeah, I do. I go, read Psalm chapter 139. Just read it. That's all. And she said, okay, I will. Now, I don't know what happened or I don't even, I'm not even sure, but I just, this, this tells me about God's love and care and intricately involvement in, in that process. And so here's, here's, a, here's something that I want you to write down. The Imago Dei, the Imago Dei is the foundation of human value. The image of God in human beings is the foundation for human value. Number one. Number two, the Imago Dei is the foundation for loving others. God tells us to love him with everything we have, and he says to love others, and that's because others are made in the image of God. In fact, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 9, there's a prohibition on murder because there was so much murder, and God tells us why thou shalt not kill. It turns out that humans are valuable. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own what? In his own image. We should never use our humanity to diminish or destroy the humanity of others. That's what the Nazis did. They determined who had value and who didn't based on their productivity, based on their race, based on uh, their ability to serve or whatever. And if you weren't in that category by the Hundreds of thousands, not to mention six million Jews, were killed. God commands us to love our neighbors. So how do we get to this point? It turns out that ideas have consequences. The Humanist Manifesto, three documents that were written, 1933, 1973, and 2000. It was the way, it was the, it was the Bible for, well, I probably couldn't use that word. It was, the, it was a, 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 um, a synopsis of what secular humanism or the hu- secular humanist worldview believe. And there's some themes in each of these documents. It's, a theme is a, a philosophy or a value system that does, it, it includes no room for God and no belief in God. Uh, here's some themes. Mankind is the norm by which truth and values are determined. You'll see key words like, like evolution, naturalism, and secularism. Uh, and they reject every form of the supernatural. In fact, the naturalist would say the only thing that exists are things that you can see. If you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Uh, there's no supernatural realm at all is, is what, what they would say. So some of the people took, took that Okay, let's remove God from everything. And then some people said, well, if we're going to remove God, let's remove any sexual barriers. And let's freely have sex. Let's, let's, let's uh, 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 sex, drugs, and rock and roll in the 60s, right? The sexual revolution. Well, how's that worked out for us? Well, let me just say a few things about that. Margaret Sanger Uh, says, how can we encourage people to have sex without any restraint and prevent, quote, inferior people from reproducing? In fact, Margaret Sanger had a plan 
because all of these black people were now being, were being uh, had once been slaved, were being emancipated, and they're coming into the workforce, and she believed that they were, they were an inferior, the black people were an inferior race, and they were competing for jobs in the marketplace, so she designed a plan called the Negro Project. Look it up. It was a plan to systematically reduce the numbers of black people. And by the way, the first people that recognized what her plan was was the Black Panthers and the Nation of Islam. And they said, we see where this is going. Being born is a civil right, and it's wrong. And unfortunately, the Negro Project has come full force in our black communities and our black neighborhoods. According to Sanger, Planned Parenthood would provide birth control, help young people obtain sexual satisfaction before marriage, and prevent fear and guilt. And those goals have been accomplished for the most part. Let me say this. God gave me this last night. I've never thought about this before. I believe God's Spirit gave me this. This is what I wrote last night. Every society where God is pushed out Sexual sin comes in because at its core, sexual sin is idolatry. Every culture where God is pushed out, you will see sexual sin celebrated, uh, uh, practiced with no limits. You'll see that coming in because it's idolatry. It is Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry and it is idolatry. It is the worship of an image. So God creates sex. He has a design. And this is the design. It's to procreate. It is how he chose to allow us to have other ones like us. It also is designed to give pleasure. But also... It's designed to give value. There's that word again, value. So we've tweaked what, what humanness is and what, value, what, what makes a human valuable. We, we've tweaked that, and now it's entered into the sexual context. And so, so something that was meant to give pleasure and procreate and give value is now twisted. And where God says it's only uh, uh, applicable place because everything that God creates has boundaries is in covenant and, and society says we don't want covenant. We want to be able to do this whenever we want to do it, however we want to do it. And so something like the Humanist Manifesto uh, ends up being something that creates tragedy because of sexual sin. Ideas have consequences. And with the worldview of humanism came a shift in the value of human life. So here's the question. Is the baby in the womb human? And does that baby have value? How do we respond? Scott Klusendorf, Life Training Institute, and I have, I have about 130 or whatever many copies of this right here. It's a, the five-minute pro-lifer uh, by Scott Klusendorf, how to defend your pro-life views in five minutes or less. I suggest you take some of these in mean, five minutes or less because we want to equip you to enter into the conversation. And uh, uh, hey, let me just say this. There are born-again believers in Jesus that don't want to enter into this conversation. And they say, that's a political thing, and I don't even want to talk about it. Let me say this to that. Abortion is the issue of our age. Politics are, yes, they're about building walls, and they're about uh, uh, this group or that group, or, or, or they're about foreign policy, or, or they, they're about all that stuff. But let me tell you, the issue of the age today is abortion in politics. I'm telling you, if you say that you are pro-life and you believe that life believes that conception and abortion is wrong, you watch what happens to you. Because that is not a popular message. It's not celebrated, but it's God's will. And I'll tell you what, a, a, politics today is about abortion. Make no mistake about it. Nothing else brings the kind of fire and the kind of emotion and the kind of vitriol than it in the political realm that abortion does. It is the issue of the age. Scott Klusendorf says this. Here's some questions that you can ask so those who are pro-choice. He has an acronym, S-L-E-D. S stands for size. Unborn babies are tiny. 
Does that mean they're not human and should not be valued? Does size determine humanness? Here's another question. The level of development. The unborn are less developed than toddlers, and toddlers are less developed than children and, and uh, than teenagers, and teenagers are less developed than adults. Are the unborn not human because of their level of development? Should they not be valued? Does level of, de- of development determine humans? Well, see, you're not a human until this starts happening, really. That's not what embryology tells me, that that baby, that, that zygote, that, that cell's got an independent uh, DNA from both mom and dad. That tells me they're independent of both of them. And given the, the fact that, that, that they can remain in that, in, that, in that pristine, precious womb, they're going to grow into a child. Size, level of development, and environment. An unborn baby develops in the womb. Does a person's location determine their value? If somebody comes to America and they're an illegal alien, do they have no rights whatsoever? Or do they have rights just because they're human and they're made in the image of God? Can we kill them and that not matter? No, we can't do that because they have intrinsic value. Partial birth abortion partially delivers a baby, then kills it before it's delivered. That's criminal, right? Not in New, not in New York, not in, other, not in other states. And let me make another statement to you. If you don't think that that kind of legislation is coming to Nevada, you have not been paying attention. We better start praying right now. And if you haven't been, begin, because it will be here before you know it. Because there are people in office in our state that are radically pro-choice. That's the truth, folks. I'm not making a political statement. I'm speaking truth. I don't mean to make this about politics. Because I'm not about that. Don't accuse me of that, because you're wrong if you do. But you can't tell me this ain't the issue of the age. Especially in politics. You still love me? Size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependence. For sure, the unborn are dependent on their mother to survive. For sure, babies are dependent on others after they're born. (laughs) Mama, (laughs) and all the moms said, amen, right? Let's close in prayer. I'm done. It's curious, first service, there was a baby in the crowd, and at the appropriate time, this six-month-old gave the appropriate scream that made everybody clap. God is speaking. God is speaking. Thank you for that, young lady. Lots of people are dependent upon others. Does it take away their value? Does it mean they're not human? Your, wor- your worldview will answer that question. So what applies to the unborn applies to all humans because the fetus is a human with intrinsic value. Pro-choice advocates must answer these questions. Church, don't let them off the hook. Here's the question. Is the baby in the womb human? Th- that was a rhetorical question. Now, you know, I, I wasn't asking you that. Thank you for answering, though. <laughs> like, uh. All right? And if it's not human, then what is it? I, I've been guilty of saying, before I was a believer in Jesus, of saying it's a clump of flesh. Turns out it's not. See, see cells on my arm, I just dumped a bunch of cells on the, and they're going to die. They're not going to become a baby. It's not just a clump of flesh or a grouping of, ce- a grouping of cells. Groupings of cells don't produce another human being. But the gift of life does that. You know what's interesting about this? Is that you can be fined $1,000 or five years in prison for tampering with the egg of a bald eagle.
And nobody questions the birdness of that egg. What kind of society questions the humanness of a baby in the womb? And yet, you can't do to the eagle egg what we can legally do to the baby in the womb. May God help us. Stand up, church, not literally. Stand up. Let your voice be heard. If we don't stand up for the unborn, who will? Does that baby have value? Regardless of what people believe about God, they have moral intuition and they have a conscience. And you can appeal to them based on what you know is in their heart. People have within them the ability to to discern right from wrong. So you have a common bridge that you can talk to. Romans chapter, 12, chapter 2, verse 114 says, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their what? Hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. See, we have that embedded in every human being. So you can, you can work with that. You can ask based on that. Let me say a few more things and I'll have uh, uh, Pamela come on up. Um, 2 Samuel twelve twenty three, uh, David has had his affair with Bathsheba. He's had a child. It's a year later and he thinks everything's okay, but God knows because God sees all. And he has the prophet uh, come to him and, and say, you know, you've committed this wrong. The child that you have will die. So in this time frame, he goes into the sea, this weeping and mourning and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, no doubt. And, and he's, he's crying out to God that, that God would spare this child. And, 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 the, and, and the child dies. Now the servants are afraid to tell David what's happened. And so they're, they're looking over at him. And he, and, and he, they, he realizes, because he's a discerning man, that, that what's happened. And, and, and so he gets up washes himself, gets something to eat, and, and they're like, okay, what happened? And, and David says this. David says this. Why should I, fa- uh, 2 Samuel 12, 23, why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? And he says this, and this is, this is the word of the Lord to anyone here who has had an abortion or even you told someone or you encouraged someone and and you're a man here and you had a girlfriend X amount of years ago and you convinced her, you might have even driven her down there and, and you feel the heaviness and you feel the burden. Hear the word of the Lord this morning where David said, I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. That means... The number of abortions that we know about that have taken place in America since Roe versus Wade, 53 million, 61 million children, they have populated heaven and they are in the arms of their loving father and one day you will see them and oh, what a reunion that will be. Pamela is the... Um, the director of the First Choice Pregnancy Center here in Las Vegas. She's an absolute rock star. She's amazing. What God is doing, come on up, what God is doing at this place is absolutely mind-boggling. It is. I, I had the bright idea this week of calling and seeing if she could join us, and then I found out she could. I'm like, Really? Would you stand to your feet and would you give her a, a, well, a warm, living grace welcome as she shares with us from her heart? Thank you, Pastor. 
I want to say thank you, first of all, to Pastor Richie for having us here today. Um, we consider it a high honor, and we are grateful and humbled to be able to stand before you. I give honor and glory to God, to Jesus, to Holy Spirit, who is the Lord of my life. And um, again, I want to reiterate a few things that Pastor Richie shared. Um, if you're sitting here and you've had an abortion, a lot of what we do at First Choice is um, begin that healing process for women who had an abortion. Um, over half of all abortions today are procured by women who've already had an abortion or more than one abortion. And within two years, 80% of pregnant of women will be pregnant within two years of their abortion. So our conundrum is if she's sitting in front of us and she had an abortion six months ago or two years ago or, and she's telling us, well, it was the right thing at the time. You know what? She hasn't come to terms with that yet. And if I don't help her get in touch with that baby that she aborted, then I honestly don't stand a chance of seeing her choose life for this baby. So I said all that to say that if you've had an abortion, uh, as Pastor Richie said, this isn't about condemnation. This is about letting you know that there's hope and there's healing. And we are well equipped to help you with that. My cards are back there. My cell number is on them. Um, you can call the center. You can call me. You can come in, anything, any of those things. And we are honored to help you with that. Um, three things that women who've had an abortion really struggle with. Number one, thinking that God can't forgive them. Jesus climbed up on the cross and died for the sin of abortion. The devil wants us to think it's the unforgivable sin. No, it's not. There's one, and that's not it. Number two, women tend to think that their baby can't forgive them. As Pastor Richie mentioned, Psalm 2710 says, Though my father and my mother rejected me, the Lord will receive me. So those babies go straight from the womb to the arms of Jesus. So your baby is not in heaven condemning you. Your baby's in heaven loving you. Looking forward to the day that you get there. And your job is to get there. Your baby's not condemning you. I truly, honestly, with all my heart, believe that those babies do not know why they're in heaven. I really don't. I really don't think they know. The third thing is women think, well, I can't forgive myself. Well... We've already taught, you know, um, the Bible says um, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not hard for God to forgive. So when we do something and we say, I can't forgive myself, you know what? We're playing God. If God can forgive you, who are you to say? You can't forgive yourself. So you can. Is it easy? No. Does it ever go away? Probably not. There's always the knowledge that that happened. And there is forgiveness. There is healing. And God can help you with that. We can help you begin that process, and we'd be honored to. So I want you to understand that. Um, Who gives life? Who gives life? Yeah. Does God ever make a mistake? Never? Never. Hmm. Okay. If God gives life, he doesn't make mistakes. Is a baby ever a mistake? I have taken two words out of my vocabulary. I've replaced them. Unplanned. And that came about one day I had a radio show for two years and my co-host, we actually had my pastor's wife on the show with us and my co-host says there was a Christmas show. So, Pastor Vicky, you know, we were talking about abortion, and, and he says, so, you know, Jesus was unplanned, and I went, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> and it just, it just helped me understand. There's no such thing as an unplanned baby, ever. Because God gives life. He doesn't make mistakes. Even if we don't think we were planning, God has planned that baby. God has planned that life right? No such thing. The other thing is there's no such thing as an unwanted baby. Even if there's a fetal anomaly, something horribly wrong with the baby, we'd say horribly wrong, the baby, you know, whatever. 
there's someone who wants that baby. A good friend of mine um, was called years ago to the hospital to see if she would accept this baby. The baby was six months old. The baby had been abused by his parents, thrown against the wall, just horrible. She said, yes, I want him. Yes, I want him. She took him home. Um, He ended up having to have a feeding tube. He lived to be 30 years old. They um, brought him actually from another state and brought him here with them. Um, And he died in their home. He got in a cold and he couldn't get over it. And when the medical examiner, the coroner, came to their home to, you know, do the investigation, he said, I've never seen a bedridden person in such perfect shape. See, her children, her grandchildren, they all helped care for him. They cleaned him. They bathed him. They dressed him. They put his socks on him. They fed him. They turned him. And at his, after his funeral, at her home, she said to me, Pam, now she's got kids, she's got grandkids, she's even got great-grandkids. Pam, I think my whole purpose for being here was him. That child was loved. Even though his parents didn't love him, she loved him. His parents didn't want him, she wanted him. There's no such thing as an unwanted child. Just because a mom or a dad doesn't want a child doesn't mean the child needs to die. Someone wants that child. Make sense? So if God gives life, he doesn't make mistakes, and a baby's never a mistake, what about a baby conceived in rape? What about a baby conceived in incest? What about a baby, as Pastor Richie mentioned, conceived in, in adultery? I went to Africa over Christmas, and the week after I came back, the pastor that had hosted me in Ghana called me, and he said, we had a baby saved. I said, praise God. He said, yeah. This man came to me, and he said, I think he came to me because he found out I was a pastor, so he didn't know the man. And he said, my wife left, and I want her to come back. So the pastor's talking with me, and he says, well, I had an affair. So he's talking with us more, and he says, well, the woman I had an affair with is pregnant, and I'm trying to have her have an abortion. And the pastor said, no, don't, don't have an abortion. The baby didn't sin. So he was so excited because he was able to utilize everything he'd heard me say the whole week that I was there, and that baby's life was saved. But it was a baby conceived in adultery. Now, I don't know the whole story. I don't know yet what's going to happen with the wife. I don't know any of that. But I know of many stories where the wife has raised that child or has at least accepted that child because God gives life and he doesn't make mistakes. There's never a mistake in a baby. I used to be pro-choice, like Pastor Richie sort of. Except I thought I was pro-life, but really what I was was pro-life with exceptions, so I was really pro-choice. Because I really thought that, as I'd always been told, that the baby that was conceived in rape or incest, it was okay to abort that baby. And I've had many conversations with many, many pastors, one-to-one, and, and they think that. And then I start this process, okay, who gives life? God. Oh, I'd agree with that. Does God make mistakes? No, never. So if God gives life, he doesn't make sense. What about that baby conceived in rape? And they will go, oh. I, I, I hadn't thought about that. Well, you better think about it. Because when we judge that that baby should be aborted, we're judging God as evil, as foolish. Right? That's what we're doing. God dealt with me on that. And I ended up a puddle on the floor, sobbing and crying, repenting to God and asking him to forgive me for judging him and for judging that one group of people unjustly. The Bible says that a child shall not pay for the sins of their father. And for that baby that has an adverse diagnosis, that's late-term abortion because you don't get an adverse diagnosis usually until you're 20, 18, 20, 22 weeks or more. Should that baby die? Because the doctor will tell you it should. We have to choose who our God is. We have to choose who we're going to trust. The Bible says, God says, is the clay going to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Really? We think that's not in the Bible? Yeah, it is. There's nothing in the, that we need an answer to that's not in the word of God. 
God has reasons for how he creates every person. First choice is um, a unique pregnancy center. The other word that I have changed is I don't use the word unborn anymore. I use the word preborn. When a woman is sitting in front of me and she says, well, you just don't understand. I just, I just can't have this baby right now. I say, oh, okay, well, here's the thing. You're going to have a baby. You don't get to skip that. You're either going to have a live baby or a dead baby. But once we're pregnant, we're going to give birth. The Bible says a pregnant woman shall bring forth a child. So the baby is preborn. And to me, that's, that's distinct. Even if we have a miscarriage, we're still going to give birth, right? Once we're pregnant, we cannot, we cannot undo that. And abortion is usually intended to cover sin. It's not going to cover. It's going to complicate it. And there's nothing about abortion that is health-related. It's not a health law. Since when would we ever think that anything was a method of health where 100% of the time one dies and one's wounded for the rest of their life? How could that possibly be health care? It's not. It's not reproductive health care. It's not reproductive health. There's nothing healthy about it. So we are unique because we sit on a closed-in private street um, in the middle of the block. And at the end of the street is a late-term abortion clinic. Um, We opened 14 years ago last December. And because it's a private street, everyone who goes to that abortion clinic has to pass us. Well, guess what? The abortion clinic is very, I don't know, it's almost hidden. Like it's kind of in the corner and they have these big foreboding black gates that they put up a couple of years ago. And so people get down our street and they can't figure out where it's at. And they come into first choice thinking we're the abortion clinic. Yeah, it's pretty dicey sometimes. Now, most of those women will, ch- will stay. We don't always know. I'll say that. We don't always know. And we don't ask her at the window, are you here thinking you're at the abortion clinic? Focus on the family when we first opened came and, uh, and uh, we're going through everything we do with a fine-tooth comb because they were looking at granting us our first ultrasound machine. And the lady that was there said, you know, we're, we're really impressed with how you guys you know, how you operate and what you do, and, and, and you're going to be really busy, and you're already busy, and we just don't like that you don't ask them when they come in if they have an appointment. I said, why would I do that? Why would I do that? I don't want to have that conversation at the window. Why would I do that? Back and forth, we went about 30 minutes, and I finally said, okay, if a McDonald's opens across the street from a Wendy's, and Wendy's has been there 15 years, is McDonald's obligated to ask everybody that walks in, did you really mean to come to McDonald's or did you mean to go to Wendy's? And she said, it's not the same thing. I said, it is the same thing. <sighs> Round and around we went for a few more minutes, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm going to be fired. They're not going to give us the grant. You know, I'm just being obstinate with this lady from Focus on the Family who's been in the ministry for like 30 years. And she finally says, okay, can we have permission to distribute your script to other centers? And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, because what I said is we don't treat that woman any different than we treat any other woman that walks in. Every single woman that comes in, we don't have a conversation. Have you been here before? Go ahead and sign in. Here's a clipboard. Fill it out. If she's been here before, then she knows we don't do abortions. So she might be here for another test or she might be here for an ultrasound. We can ask then. No, we're not having that conversation at the window. If she comes in and she says, I'm here for my appointment, and we don't have her the books on the books, we say, I don't have you on the books, but I can see you now. See how that goes. Now, she may say, well, where's 872? Well, this is 860. We can see you right now. We can do a pregnancy test and consultation and ultrasound and find out if you have a viable pregnancy. We just keep going. If we need to, we can take her into a room and speak to her privately. But once she says that, we we have to divulge to her, we don't do abortions. We're not the abortion clinic. Now, we get a mixed reaction on that because some of them recognize immediately that God has intervened 
and redirected their steps. Some of them don't recognize till later, but they're faced with a reality. We don't refer to the abortion clinic. We don't tell them, well, it's at the end of the street. You know, this is 860. This is first choice. That's who we are. <laughs> I don't have to say we're not 872 or we're not birth control care center, right? So it's amazing. So most of them will stay. Most of them will choose life. Last year, we had 400 women who came in that we know of who thought they were in the abortion clinic and stayed for our services. Amazing. We, yeah, amazing. It's not easy. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes there's a lot of tears. Sometimes there's a lot of shouting and swearing and threats and okay. You know, if we can get that woman back there by herself, we can deal with her because she's the only one that gets to choose, right? I had a woman come in last year who, actually the year before, um, was standing at the window and I don't really take clients very much, but, um, she just started sobbing and I said, oh, around there's nobody else I'm like let's go back here so I grab my keys and take her to the back and don't even have a clipboard yet she was 22 weeks second baby her first baby was 18 baby's daddy had walked out or whatever threatened or whatever and she's just sobbing and I said okay let me let me go get the clipboard looks like by your period you're about 22 weeks so here I'd like you to see this and I hand her this baby that's 20 weeks she takes this baby and she starts crying. She tries to give it back. And I said, I'll be right back. And I close the door with her in there with that baby. And she's just wailing, sobbing. And I've got counselors coming out going, everything okay? <laughs> yeah, everything's fine. So she stayed, had the ultrasound. Her issue partly was that she needed a place to live. And I said, if I can send you to another state, would you, would you be interested in relocating? She said, yes said, we will pay to send you to another state. I've got a home that will take you in. It's a family. It will provide everything for you. You can take your son if you want. You can live there as long as you need to. I just call him and say she's on her way. That's all she needed to hear. She didn't take me up on that. Called her in April, and she was due the next week with another baby boy. So it's amazing. We tell the truth. We tell it in love. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't make it pretty. The thing is, as soon as you accept abortion for any reason, you accept abortion. Um, Proverbs 24, 10 through 12 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. We have adversity every day, all day. <laughs> we, adversity, we have adversity getting to the center. We have adversity doing our fundraising events. This event has been off the charts for warfare. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Some versions say who are being carried away to death. When a woman goes into an abortion clinic, she's carrying her baby in to be to death. That's what we're there for. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? We need help at First Choice. We have a very small paid staff. Everything we do can be done by volunteers. I have a volunteer bookkeeper who does all my, um, everything for me for bookkeeping. Enters the checks and keeps track and does my 990s and all of that. Um, doesn't matter what you're good at or what you like to do, we need help with it. So if God's tucking on your heart, call us and come in. And at least see what we do. Come down for a tour and just see what our center is like. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. God paid off our center um, a year ago. We're 100% debt free. Praise God. Total miracle. Total miracle. Abortion today is a temptation. I think most women who get pregnant, even if they're in a solid marriage and... Christian, abortion crosses their mind. It's a huge temptation today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. We are that way of escape at first choice. Um, God provides that way for them. 
Some women don't choose that, but most do. We even have a document that if she's telling us that she doesn't want to have an abortion, but someone's trying to force her, maybe a parent, maybe a boyfriend, she has the option to sign a document that says, I do not want an abortion. If I show up in your clinic, I'm there against my will. If I show up in your clinic, please call the police. Please call 911. If you abort me anyway, I can and may sue you for any or all of the following, and it lists out things that, she, that they can be sued for. We take that, we fax it to every abortion clinic in town, which is why we're on four, clinic, four abortion clinics' uh, websites for a warning. Do not go to First Choice. Um, and before she leaves, every abortion clinic in town has received that document. And we give her copies to keep in a safe place. So um, we fight this at the highest level. We fight it all day, every day. We have more women in a single day than most centers have an entire week. We serve more women in a week than most centers serve in a whole month. We have more babies saved in a year than many centers will have in 10 or 20 years. Seriously. Um, We had 2,400 saved last year. Thank you, Jesus. And sometime in the next few weeks, um, I expect to go over 30,000 babies that have been saved at first choice. Yeah, amazing. And you will always hear me say, had saved. You'll never hear me say we saved a baby. Because we can't change a heart, only God can. And if I have to take credit for a baby that's saved, then I have to take credit for the babies that are aborted, and I'm not doing that. Not doing that. So we have abortion walk-ins every day. We also use graphic information. This little brochure is one that I just love. It's called Jesus Loves the Little Children. But when you open it, there is a baby that was aborted at nine weeks, a picture. Why do I have one that says Jesus loves the little children? Because in this country for decades, over 70% of women who've had abortions claim to be Christian. It's not the heathens, folks. It's the people sitting in our churches. And we need to be talking about it. And, Pastor, we would love to help equip your staff and train your staff and train your teenagers on how do they talk to somebody who's considering abortion. How do they talk to that boyfriend or that friend who's, who thinks that their girlfriend or their friend should have an abortion? What do they say? How do they get, like, the sheet that you handed out today? Because that's what we do at First Choice, you know? So we, lo- we love, 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 love doing that. We'd love to train your staff and your, and your young people on how do I help somebody that's had an abortion begin that healing process? Because if we never admit that it's a sin, we can never be forgiven and we can never be healed. We have to come to terms with that. We can't keep using excuses. Well, I had the abortion because, okay. And it was a baby. And we have to repent for that to be healed, to move forward. Um, So we use graphic information. We have a video also that's eight minutes that the clients have an option to watch. Over half the centers in the nation have policies against graphic information. We don't force it, but we definitely use it. And it definitely, that video is the number one tool that we have, even above ultrasound, that changes hearts. It's amazing. It's an eight-minute video, and it just shows babies being aborted. It shows the babies coming out. It shows their parts. It shows... It shows what happens to the woman. It shows it's hard. It's hard. But it's truth. Why would I not use that? We had a, a, a boyfriend and girlfriend in, in a couple of days ago. He was set on having an abortion. She wanted him to watch that video with her. He thanked us. His first baby. I had no idea. No idea. No idea that that didn't even know it was really a baby. You know, we have these little first trimester babies, seven, eight, nine, and ten weeks. Little nine-weekers sucking its finger. These are in all of our consulting rooms. Yeah, amazing. A lot of times we'll come back in and the girls will have this and they're reading what their baby should be doing. Amazing, yep, that's them. They're, they're called Touch of Life. They're soft, they're rubber, they're amazing. Um, we also... Uh, Most of the pregnancy centers in the U.S. have a policy, over half, 
that you cannot use the word murder or kill unless the client uses it first. Well, <laughs> most times the client's not going to use that word. And we do because it's truth. What does the Bible say about truth? Truth will make you free. Now, we don't use it in a vicious way. We don't use it in a, a condemning way. But it's the truth. That's what happens. Remember, in 100% of abortions, one person dies and one person is wounded. Right? So, um, we also, we're 100% pro-life. As Pastor Richie talked about, when is a baby a baby? At conception? You know, the medical journals have, have redefined that. Medical journals, journals call conception now after the baby has implanted. But the fact is, once the egg and the sperm meet, all of the DNA is there. That's in the fallopian tube. The natural process is that baby moves into the uterus and implants. Hormonal birth control, or IUDs, are designed to make the uterus inhospitable for that little tiny baby. So... When that baby dies because the baby can't attach, the baby's starved to death, she has what she thinks is a period, but she'll never know the side of eternity, how many babies she really aborted. Because the third fail-safe way that that hormonal birth control works is to deprive the uterus of the nutrition that that baby needs to attach. So that 7 to 10-day-old baby flushes out and is murdered. We don't refer for that. We don't recommend it. Our medical director does not do those. I can't say that for a lot of pregnancy centers. And um, that's pretty much it, Pastor Richie. I will say that the only way that God refers to children, he calls them a blessing, an inheritance, a heritage, a gift from him. We think debt is a blessing and children are a curse. I mean, look at it. We take on all this debt, but boy, don't, don't you, I'll give you everything, God bless me, but don't bless me here. Off limits to you, God. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. We have it so twisted. God says children are a gift from him. They're a blessing. They're an inheritance. They're a heritage. And I believe the heritage and the inheritance is they are God's inheritance. They are God's heritage. We have them for a few years. We get to train them up, but we don't own them. God says, all souls are mine. Amen. We need to get God's perspective, and we need to stand strong and be faithful in love and speak up for the voiceless. And we've got information back there. We've got a march coming up. We've got volunteer um, opportunities, we've just come see us. And come down for a tour, please. We love to have people come in for a tour. Thanks, Pastor Richie. Miss Laura, would you come on up, please? Laura Bertaccini. If Laura had a restaurant, it'd be packed every night. Um, yeah, and all that information's back there, guys, if you want to know more. But, um, uh, yeah, are you guys inspired? Are you inspired? We have a saying around here that we're building the kingdom of God one baby at a time. You young married couples have more babies. Do your job. And you old married couples adopt children. Open the floodgates. Come on. Trust God. I want to read um, this to you as we close. It says, you did not bear the shame you resisted, sacrificing your life for freedom, justice, and honor. And that's a quote from the German Resistance Memorial. If you've seen the movie Valkyrie, that's what that's all about, is the resistance movement against 
Nazi Germany and that there were people in Germany that stood up and said, you know what, this is wrong. And um, we're blessed to be able to hear from these guys. Would you all stand as we pray? God, thank you for your grace today and thank you for the amazing work that you're doing. And Lord, we ask that you would um, continue to uh, be that shield about them, that you would continue to prosper the work of their hands, Lord. I, I don't know what else could be more important right now, and, and I know that, that different people might have different opinions, but Lord, that, that we as a church, as we stand alongside them, would pray for them, would give to them, would, would give resources, give our time, talent, and treasure. And Lord, um, we pray that hedge of protection around them and their family, their children, their children's children, And we pray, God, the secret things of their hearts that they're just asking you for, God, that they would see it done. Pour out a blessing on them, Lord. Um, We understand that there are uh, spiritual forces in high places and and forces of wickedness that, that want to shut this place down. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, your spirit will lift up a standard against them. And we thank you for the victory that we have and that we can celebrate with these guys um, every day. And so, Lord, uh, would you bless them and continue to prosper them? And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen.